Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning again. What a, what a great day. Uh, Palm Sunday, which we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, the fact that we had... Uh, the two men follow the Lord in baptism, right? That they receive Christ as Savior and then a decision to want to do what God says about that. Because right here, this is what Jesus said as he was leaving the earth. He told the disciples, go and make disciples, other disciples of all the nations. In other words, people will come to Christ, become Christ followers, and then to baptize them. And so we did that today, what Jesus said. That's cool, isn't it? Okay, And uh, then, of course, teach them to observe all the commands I have given you. That's what the baby dedication is about, isn't it? Right? That there's a child here that God has given us that needs to be trained up to know the Lord and, and to live for Him. And, and so we see decisions to surrender to the Lord, and we see growing. And, and hopefully as we leave today, I'll be doing this, but hopefully as we leave today, we'll be telling others as well. Right? So God is at work. Oh, by the way, if... You have received Jesus as Savior, and you have never been baptized. We're baptizing again next Sunday on Easter. And so if you would like to be baptized, just check me. If you have questions about that, maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about and you want to know, we'd love to talk to you about those things. Well, how many of you in here know somebody in this room who has a little bit of a hard-headed streak? I didn't ask you about you. How many of you know somebody here, right? Okay, yeah. Afraid you don't want to say it or not, right? Maybe it's you you know. <laughs> well, determination can be a, a really, really positive thing, can't it? Determination isn't a bad thing. Determination is a good thing. And uh, obviously it depends what we're determined to do and why we're determined to do it. But determination is a good thing because it takes us from where we are to where we need to go, right? That makes sense? If you're determined, that's going to motivate you to go from here to where you need to go. For the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, eternal Son of God, who became a man, Christmas time as we celebrate his incarnation, and his life, well, the Gospels in Luke chapter 9 tells us this about Jesus. He reached a point in his ministry, it says, Now it came to pass... When the time had come for him to be received up, and let me stop there, the idea was that he had come for a purpose, to accomplish something, to do something very specific. And when it came time for him to be actively involved in pursuing that, this is what he's talking about, it says that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, because that is where this was going to happen. So let's take a look at a map up here uh, of Israel. And it's, I know some of the print's kind of small, but just let me give you a sense here. So this is the Mediterranean Sea. Up here in the north of Israel is the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to the Dead Sea. And by the way, all of this area is well below sea level. And at the Dead Sea, it is the lowest uh, place on earth uh, that's above ground. And so Jesus' ministry, he, was, he, was, uh, he grew up here in this Nazareth area, and then most of his ministry was up here and around the Sea of Galilee. He made a few trips to Jerusalem uh, here and there for some of the religious feasts, but most of his ministry was there. And so what we're seeing here in that verse, when it says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, uh, his, his ministry was changing, and the focus was going to be 
to make his way down here along the Jordan River and then to come up to Jerusalem. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, let me encourage you that there should be Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Uh, I encourage you to take one of those. And most people around you are going to have a Bible, so you won't be out of place. Just find one of those and follow along. It'll make it a lot easier for you. And I'll give you page numbers, okay, so you can find where we are. We're going to be on page 1137. Page 1137, Matthew 21. And this talks about what we are remembering here on Palm Sunday. So it says this, now, when they drew near Jerusalem, so Jesus has, you know, I showed you on the map, he's, he's just kept working his way toward Jerusalem, and now they are coming from Jericho up into the mountains to Jerusalem. When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. And so let's, let's just stop. I, I thankfully have some pictures, okay, that I've taken in the Holy Land. I'll just share a few. This is what we're talking about here. Go to that next picture there, if you would, Stephen. So we are, this picture is taken from a vantage point of a mountain called Mount Scopus. And I don't know if you can see it or not, but here's the old city of Jerusalem. Oh, my laser printer. There we go. Ah, that's not good. So this is the old city of Jerusalem. This, um, the Dome of the Rock is where the temple would have been at the time of Christ. But this is the Mount of Olives. Uh, so it's just a small valley in between the two. So when it says he came to it, we've he've just come up. He's coming up and getting ready to top uh, the Mount of Olives. All right, so let's continue reading. So he, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So by Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, he was fulfilling scripture that the, when the king comes, this is what he would do. So it says, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the son of David is significant because God had promised that he was going to set up a king that would rule forever who would be a descendant of David. Okay, and so that's what that means. And it says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They didn't have his identity exactly nailed down at that point. But let's go to the next uh, slide here. This, see, here's the old city up here, okay, and again, that's where the temple would have been. And this is most likely the path that, the, that Jesus came down as he rode his donkey down the hill. Go ahead and go to the, the video there. And so you can see, I mean, it's a pretty steep place, uh, but as you're coming down, you can see, you can see the old city up here. You can see the temple for where Jesus is heading. 
Now, obviously, these stone walls and things weren't there at the time. It would have been a dirt road, okay? But this is where that would have happened. All right. So let's continue. Let's talk about this a little bit here. In this passage, Jesus riding into Jerusalem like this, being celebrated as the Messiah who was promised by God to come. If we go back about almost 600 years before this, Daniel wrote, uh, as the Lord led him to write, God led him to write, and he wrote and made a prophecy starting from a date when a certain proclamation would be given for God's people to go back and begin building, rebuilding the city, that there would be 483 years to the day when the Messiah shows up in Jerusalem. Okay, presenting himself as the Messiah for God's people. Well, we aren't going to take time to do the math. When you sit down with the calendar and do the math, you discover that Palm Sunday this year, that it happened, was 483 years to the day. That's quite a prophecy, isn't it? 483 years to the day that he would show up. And then it says after he shows up, he's going to be killed. Which we, we see that happening too. But so get this point that God will absolutely keep the promises in his word down to the smallest detail. He will. And so when you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and, and, and you read his word and his Holy Spirit in you helping you understand the ideas, you're going to come to places where, and there are going to be times and places in your life and you say, Oh God, I, I need you to work in my life. I, I need this, you know, and, and, and assuming you're right about what you need, God is going to work. He will keep the promises of his word. I can't think of any places, I, and I've been through the Bible lots of times, and I've lived a lot of life in light of the Bible, and I can't think of a time ever when what God has said, I've said, well, that isn't true, because he's always been faithful. He's always done it. Now, how important is it to know that? It's important, isn't it? To understand that, that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Does he, is he going to do what he says he's going to do when I can't see how? Is he going to do it? I'm looking for an answer. Yeah. All right, can, will he do it when it doesn't seem to me like it's happening? Yeah, see, now that depends because God is faithful. He is the faithful one. He will do what he has said. That's why when he says, if you come to him in faith, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, at that very moment, it's like being born again. You start anew. And, and, and God himself, I said, moves in and gives you new life and sins are forgiven. And you, you have eternal life when this life ends and, and so much more. He's going to do all of those things that he has promised to do. And that's important. But it's not the most important thing that I want you to get today. Okay? All right, so let's let's continue. Let's let's walk our way. So this week, Melanie talked about this week and remembering this week. So on that Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's probably late in the day. He's made his way from 15 miles away in Jericho up to um, uh, Jerusalem there. And so that was a long walk. Some events happened along the way. So it's later in the day. He rides in, he's, he's, he's welcomed like this, excited. The religious leaders are not excited because uh, he's a threat to them, they think. And, and so on that Monday night, he heads back out and it says he goes to Bethany. It's about 
a mile and a half away, two miles walk, okay? So he went to Bethany for the night. That's where Lazarus lived, the one he had raised from the dead, okay? So he went and visited with him and his sisters. And on two, on Monday, he comes back to the city. And by the way, I'm using the, the timeline that's, that's uh, just generally accepted. Uh, the actual days, we could be off a day or two here. And that doesn't matter because the events happen like this. So on Monday, he goes back into Jerusalem, and this is when he goes into the temple, and he sees in the temple, which is a place to worship God, a God who is holy, and so a God that they're bringing sacrifices to because they, they're humbling themselves before him and recognize their need for him. People had set up shop in the temple to do business. Because here's what would happen. People from someplace in the world who, you know, who couldn't travel with a lamb or whatever they wanted to sacrifice, needed to sacrifice, they, they uh, couldn't bring it all the way with them. So they might travel, you know, 500 miles, 1,000 miles, and they get there, and they need to buy a lamb for their sacrifice, okay? And so, okay, well, we'll provide that. But they set up in the temple, and they were not providing this at cost, right? We're providing this for a profit. Now, nothing's wrong with making a profit. But when you decide to use God's house and God's people as, oh, I'm going to make a mint off of them, you have crossed a line, okay? On top of this, they said, oh, you have foreign money. You can't pay with foreign money. You have to exchange that money for Jewish money. And guess what? When they exchanged it, do you think they exchanged it equal? Oh, no, they exchanged it in a way that worked in their favor, they profit. And so Jesus comes in, and he sees this, and the Bible says that he said, we're done with this. And by the way, this is the second time he's done this. He did this about three years earlier. <laughs> but he goes in there, and it says he tells them to stop, and when they aren't stopping, he, it says he actually overturned the tables of the things that they were doing. And it says he, he made a, a little whip out of something and started chasing them out of the temple, Okay. And, and what he said is that God says, my father says that this is to be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so that's the big thing that he does on Monday. You think it got anybody's attention? It certainly did. And the people talk about it, but so do the religious leaders. And the religious leaders say this is not a good thing, okay? Because they were complicit and all this other stuff. So Tuesday rolls around, Jesus comes back into town and, and to Jerusalem, and this day he is confronted time after time by the different religious leaders and the different groups, all of them trying to find something that they can accuse him of so that they can get rid of him, okay? And so they're trying to do that, and of course they don't succeed, and so he's doing that, and he's teaching uh, there as well. So about this time, he starts going out at night. Instead of going all the way to Bethany, he goes to Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the place of the olive press. So go to that picture. This is a picture of olive trees, and this would have been in the general area where Jesus and his disciples would, would spend the night. This is right at the base of the Mount of Olives, right down in that valley between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. And in fact, go to the next picture. What we see is from Gethsemane, you're standing in Gethsemane looking up. This is where the, the city walls would have been. So it's not very far away at all, okay? But so they are spending the night down there in Gethsemane. Now on Wednesday, Wednesday rolls around and there's this event where that... Uh, 
a woman had come, and, and sometimes I think it says Mary, I'm not sure, but had anointed Jesus, his uh, uh, feet, I think, and his head with this very, very costly ointment. And the disciples, especially one, are saying, why was this wasted? We could have sold that and got a lot of money for it. Okay? That was Judas. Okay? And he, uh, you know, it says that he didn't really care about, you know, getting this money and giving it to the poor. It says that he, he held the money bag for them and he took from it. And now he saw this, all this money, what he thought was wasted and he wouldn't have access to it. Anyway, it's at this point that Judas, it, something tips for Judas. And on Wednesday, G, Judas goes to the priests and arranges to betray the Lord, to turn him over. Because the religious leaders kept looking for a way to grab him, but then they would say, we can't look at all these people here, because the Passover was coming and there were people everywhere around him and they didn't want an uproar. And so Judas goes and says, I can help you with that. Okay. Well, Thursday rolls around, Jesus still teaching, but well, the significant things that happen on Thursday evening is they eat the Passover meal. Okay, and there's a lot of symbolism in the Passover meal, which we, we aren't going to take time to look at today. But it's at the Passover meal that Jesus then institutes what we call the Lord's Supper, what we talked about last Sunday. Okay, he institutes the Lord's Supper. And on this evening, you know, he gives the symbols of, of the, the bread and the wine and that they symbolize his body dying on the cross and his blood shed for our sins, as we sang about in that last song there today. Uh, he gave that symbol, and then it says he did something really interesting. It says he, after supper, he took a towel and a basin of water and went around and washed all of the disciples' feet. Now, that's kind of strange to us, isn't it? You guys show up, I leave your shoes on, okay? Which is the whole point. They had open shoes, there was, the roads were dirt, uh, and so people's feet would get dirty, and very often if a, a man had a household, he'd have a servant who would wash the, the feet of the guests who came. Well, Jesus puts himself in that place and serves his disciples, humbly serves them, giving them an example that they should be willing to serve each other the same way he had served them. And if anybody could say, no, you serve me, would it have been Jesus? Yeah, but he chose to serve. It's this night he gives them this new command, uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, this is the way the world will know that you're my disciples, when you really love each other like I've loved you. That's how they're going to know. He gave them that commandment. And then we see that he, most likely he gets up and they begin walking back toward uh, Gethsemane for the evening. And Jesus talks about the, uh, the vine and the fruit and, and uh, the Holy Spirit and what God has going to do, all these things. And then they settle down in the Garden of Gethsemane for the evening. Um, Jesus prays. You remember those stories? Jesus prays, Father, if there's any way that, is there any different way to do this? Can we do it? And, of course, there wasn't. And he said, but not my will. Your will be done. We've all heard that, that story. Um, his disciples Having a hard time staying awake. Anybody relate to that? Some of you are having that hard time right now while I'm talking. Um, so uh, that's going on. And But what's happened is the religious leaders and Judas is connected with them says, I can take you to him now. There's not a lot of people around. 
follow me and I'll show you where he is. And when we get there, I'll, I'll the one I give a kiss on the cheek. He's the one. But I want to show you here again. Here we are. Jesus is, no, let's go back. Go back. Jesus is here in this area, down here in uh, Gethsemane, someplace amongst these olive trees. And at night, they're coming with a bunch of torches coming out of one of these gates, and they're having to come down this hill. Do you think Jesus could see them coming? He knew they were coming. He watched them. Here they come. And sure enough, they show up, and they hang back, and, and Judas goes and gives him a kiss and, and betrays the Lord Jesus. And they come and take Jesus uh, all the disciples run, run away. Uh, there's even a funny story in the Gospel of Mark, two verses. It says that there was a young man there who maybe had already sacked out for the night, and it said all he had on was a linen garment. And the soldiers tried to grab him. When they grabbed him, he let the garment go and says he ran away naked. Now, that'd be a tough place to be. You've now run away naked. And I don't even know why this story is in the Bible. Except that I think it shows that it must have happened, right? And so Mark wrote that down. Okay. So this is Thursday night. He's, he's betrayed by Judas. He's taken captive by the temple guard. We know Peter resists. Remember Peter? So he pulls his sword out and takes a swing at the high priest's servant. And, and the guy moves and he cuts off his ear. And Jesus stops it and heals the servant's ear and says, no, that's not the way we're going to handle this. So um, he also finds himself being illegally tried before the, the Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. Peter denies the Lord. Let's look at that story. Matthew chapter 26. Pages 1146 and 1147. Matthew 26. I think we actually looked at this uh, not too long back. But let's look at it again. This is before Jesus is taken captive. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written. This is from the Old Testament Scriptures. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so he's saying, what's going to happen tonight? You know, they're going to take me captive and you guys are going to run away. Verse 32. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. I'm going to head back there. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. <laughs> Peter's in denial, isn't he? <laughs> About denial. So let's move over to uh, verse 69 now. Jesus has now been taken captive. They have led him to uh, the where the high priest's home would have been. Let's, let's put that next slide up there. Um, so this is a life-size model, not life-size, a scale model of the city of Jerusalem uh, that's at the Israel Museum there in Jerusalem of what the city would have been like at the time of Jesus. And so, obviously, instead of the Dome of the Rock, we see the temple here. But so Jerusalem extends out here and extends out there some. But the place where the priests lived, the high priest and the priests lived, was up here in this area. Uh, some other significant places, this is Herod's palace. This is the uh, 
barracks. That This is where they, uh, the Roman soldiers stayed right next to the temple. So anyway, Peter is sitting at a fire outside a courtyard someplace up there at the high priest's home. That's where these events take place. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath. He starts swearing, cursing, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. You have a Galilean accent. That's where Jesus is from. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Now, one of the other Gospels tells us at that point that Jesus looked out from where he was into the courtyard and made eye contact with Peter. And Peter realizes what has happened. Verse 75, and, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Now there's a, a lesson that we need to, to learn here, a very valuable lesson, and this, this. Never think you're incapable of terrible sin. Instead, humbly acknowledge your dependence on the Lord. You need God to help you never go there. And if we went around the room today and we all felt free to share, I bet most of us would be able to say, yeah, you might not know this about me. This is a terrible thing that I did or a terrible thing I didn't do, right? We're all capable. If we don't depend on the Lord, if we go our own way and do our own thing, if we aren't patterning our life according to the word of God and, and surrendering ourselves to him on a regular basis, we are just as capable of Peter at denying the Lord. We're capable of whatever terrible sin you can think of if we walk down that path far enough. Okay? So never think that you're incapable. Let your realization... I mean, don't misunderstand me. I think that for a lot of us, we're never going to go those places. Praise the Lord, right? But we're capable, and, and what's going to keep us from going there is saying, Oh God, I need you in my life. I need you to work in my life. I need you to help me understand your word and what it means in my life. And humbly depend on him. How important of a lesson is this? Very, very important. But it's not the most important thing that I want you to see here today. So let's go to... Uh, well, actually, before we do, let's, let's go to that map, uh, the next slide there again, Mitchell. So here's this map, and I already kind of showed it to you, but here's what's, what's happening this night. So Jesus is being illegally tried by the Sanhedrin up here, uh, and of course they found him guilty, and he finally says, yes, I am the Christ, and, and I'm going to be seated at the right hand of my Father, and they say blasphemy, they reject him, and so they take him, the, the, the Jewish uh, religious leaders, since Rome was in power, they did not have the authority to put someone to death. Doesn't mean they didn't do it once in a while, but they weren't supposed to, okay? And so here they are, they take Jesus and they march him across the city all the way over here to, uh, it's called the Quaternion, I think, but this is where Pilate would have been, the Roman governor at this time. And they bring him before Pilate and they're making all these accusations and Pilate's just like, this is, what are you talking about? This is nuts, this is your problem. But anyway, he finds out that, that Jesus is from Galilee. And Herod, 
uh, was responsible for Galilee. So Pilate has Jesus marched over here to Herod. And Herod's all excited because Herod's been wanting to see Jesus. And the whole time he's there, Jesus never speaks to him. And probably the reason is, is because that Herod had had John the Baptist beheaded because he was speaking truth to Herod and the family. And they, anyway, so he was beheaded, and in essence, he cut off the voice of God to himself. So Jesus never even talks to him. And so Herod finally sends him back over here to Pilate, okay? And um, so that's where we are in this passage of Scripture. Let's go. John 19, Gospel of John, a little ways toward the back of your Bible, page 1248 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. John 19. Starting in verse 12. Okay, so Jesus has come back to Pilate now. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And Jesus was, you know, they were claiming he was the king. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now let me show you. This is a place that, that they're really confident of. Uh, this area right here. This, we don't know exactly where these walls were, if they were a little this way or that way uh, at the time of Jesus. But this area here, this paved area, paved with huge stones, extends all the way under this wall and to the other side. This is the place where uh, Pilate would have pronounced these judgments. Okay, And that's what they did. So he brought him out to this place. Let's continue reading. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Oh man, these guys are so messed up. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now let's just stop right there and let's take a look at some pictures. This picture, this photo was taken not by me, 1898. I wasn't, I'm not that old, okay? 1898, this photo was taken. Uh, the place called now. Can you see how that looks like the skull, the eyes, the nose, and the mouth down here? Most likely, this is Golgotha, and this would have been a street that led right down to the city of Jerusalem. Go to the next slide, the next photo. So this is just up close, and you can see. See the place of the skull. That's why this area was called that. Now today it looks a little bit different because uh, they uh, have built a bus <laughs> terminal here. Okay, and actually this picture is a little bit dark, but you can still see here's like the eyes and the nose, and some of this is disintegrated and fallen off over the years, okay? Go to the next picture there. But here it is. So this is still the area, the eyes where the nose would have been, and it, obviously the ground level has come up some over the years. 
So this is where Jesus was taken to be crucified. This would have been right there on that road, like we saw coming out of Jerusalem, because the Romans liked to crucify their victims outside the city so they didn't create a riot, but right where everybody would see it. Anybody coming in and out of the city is going to see this and realize, ah, we don't think we want to mess with the Romans, right? And so this is what they did. So let's continue. Verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Go over to verse 28. So Jesus is now crucified. He is hanging on the cross. And, and hours have gone by. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, which really he, he rejected it, it came in and he rejected it, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus is dead. None of his disciples, even though Jesus had said, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to go, I'm going to be done, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise. And I think the disciples all went, uh-huh, uh-huh, what does he mean by that? You know, I think that's where they were. They didn't make sense to them. And here Jesus is dead. All their hopes, dreams, everything that he was the Messiah, all of it seemed gone. Let's continue. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. People who died on the cross of crucifixion usually died of suffocation. Because as they hang here, in the weight, they, they can't breathe and they have to, the diaphragm, so they have to push up against those feet that are nailed to the cross, okay? And so if they broke their legs, they couldn't push up anymore. And so this end this, because it's coming Sabbath and we can't have them hanging on the cross at Sabbath. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out, which uh, medical doctors, forensic doctors will tell you that's a sign that he was indeed dead. Okay, the way that's worded. And he who has seen has testified. This is John talking about himself. He who has seen has testified. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. That was prophesied. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. So Jesus is dead. And this brings us to the most important thing that I want you to get here today. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he set his heart and his mind on Jerusalem? Did, did he know what was going to happen? So why did he do this? 
Well, let's look at some of the events that happened here, and we'll look at them quickly. Uh, Luke chapter 23, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour. Uh, so the day uh, started for uh, these, this uh, measuring at about six in the morning. So sixth hour is about noon. Jesus is hanging on the cross. It says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Over all the what? So over here? Probably over here, too. Anywhere. Everywhere, the whole earth, the sky darkens. Why? Well, Isaiah tells us because the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is the holy son of God, never sinned, perfectly holy. And God takes all of my sin, all those terrible things, ugly things, and places the guilt of that on Jesus. And just on the face of it, we say, is that right? Do we believe in our country in punishing people who aren't guilty? No, we don't. See, but so he willingly takes that upon himself. But it's just the sky is darkened because this just isn't the way it's supposed to be. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Our sin on the Son of God. And it says, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This statement baffles me in a good way. Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 22. The experience of David, how he felt at some point. You know, God, where are you? But this is hard to get my head around because we understand that the Bible reveals that there's how many gods? One God. But this one God exists as three persons, doesn't he? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet he's one God. Three persons, one God. Three persons. All right. So they are one, aren't they? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And yet somehow, some way, this taking of the sin, our sinfulness on him who was holy, somehow rather this brings to a head that the Son of God is saying to the Father, why have you forsaken me? I can't get my head around that. How bad was this? How hard was this? Harder than we can even imagine. That, that somehow rather this happened. And then at this point, finally, Jesus cries out and says, It is finished, right? What was finished? What he had come to do. He had paid the sin penalty. And the Bible tells this point that there was an earthquake. And in Mark 15, it says the veil of the temple was torn in two from, from top to bottom. Okay, so this is this huge veil that they had before you could go into the Holy of Holies, which represented the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you that if you had people who tore this, what would they do? They would have grabbed the edges and done what? Pulled, and how would it have torn? From bottom to top. No, no. Earthquake came. God tears this from top to bottom because he's the one who has now opened the way. So this is what happened. Jesus, and this... Like I said, we can't even comprehend what it meant for him to take the sin, my sin, your sin, upon him. So why did he do it? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, 
But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's why he did it. Jeremiah 31, God speaks to his people and it applies to us, I would believe. He says, yes, I have loved you with and what kind of love? Everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Isaiah 49, he says, I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That sounds like crucifixion, doesn't it? Now, let's, I want to, just, I want to go on here, okay? In Revelation 13, 8, there's a reference to the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus is portrayed in Scripture as the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb for us. But I want you to see this, the book of life, talking about those who have been saved, the list of, but he describes the book of, no, let's go back. Stephen, can we go back here? The book of life, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This means that before he even created, as he creates the world, does he already know? Yeah. It's already settled that he's going to come and do this. Ephesians 1 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love. So what I want you to understand is that, and when we talk about how God does stuff, sometimes we get, you know, lost, okay? And that's a little bit like this today. But I want you to know that when it came time to create, and is God going to create or not? And when God looks down, and Jesus, the Son of God, looks down through the future, and he looks down there, and he sees that I've sinned and that you have sinned and we've all sinned and what it's going to require of him to redeem us. He said, man, I love Walt. Let's do it. How much does he love us? Every one of us. He knew you. Before the creation of the world, he looked down and says, yes, you know, that Rick is going to, going to receive, he'll believe and he'll be saved and, and, and Jerry and Jenny, you see what I mean? And he looked and he knew us and he loved us. And he said, let's do it. And he did it. And so I want you to see this. When Luke 9 said, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, I added the words, before he ever even created the earth for you and for me. What do you do with love like this? What do you do? I think we just got to yield ourselves to it, don't we? Yield, our, yield ourselves to the one who loved us. Who, if he would do this, do we got to worry he's going to take care of us, right? Oh God, my life is yours. That's that's the only response that makes them to learn to love him back. So I challenge you, go through this week thinking about how much he loved us and loves us now. Father, thank you for your word and that you reveal these things to us. Thank you for this love that we can't comprehend fully. Help us, though, too. 
Help us understand your love for us, because as we understand your love for us, we can love you back better. So we understand your love for us, we can love each other better. And oh God, we know that we need love in our relationships in our world. And so, please deepen our understanding of it and I pray we'll be so grateful. Never forget it. And let it govern one choice at a time as we go through life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we left Jesus hanging on the tree. We'll pick up there next week.